Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Coming to you once again from Arlington, Texas, today with episode 571 of the Survival Podcast. It is a Wednesday. It is December 15th, 2010. And today we're going to have a really awesome show because Marjorie Wildcraft, who is the owner of BackyardFoodProduction.com, the DVD that's been uh, featured on our show for a year now, uh, that tells you all you need to know about how to turn your backyard into a food production machine, is going to be here with us to talk to us not only about our DVD and what they do down there, but we're going to talk about a lot of things going on in the world today. Uh, and the common path that Marjorie and I have both walked away from corporate life to a more sustainable and a more secure and a more safe life. I believe that's what we're living now. Uh, there might be less dollars coming in, but there's a hell lot more... Um, happiness coming out the other side. So I've got Marjorie holding on the line right now. We'll bring her on as soon as the housekeeping's over. Uh, let's go ahead and knock that housekeeping out, though. Housekeeping item number one, let's take care of our sponsors. You know they do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one today is MERS-radio.com. That's M-U-R-S, a little hyphen, and the word radio.com. Why do I love MERS Radio? Because MERS Radio allows me to have a secondary means of communication where I can communicate with my wife or my son or anybody else in the family or in our neighborhood for about one to two miles. I have a base station in the house, stays plugged in, it's on all the time, and then we have two handhelds. But in addition to that, because big deal, right? We could do that with a lot of different technologies. Well, how about this? I've got motion detectors uh, at various areas around my property, and if anything moves around in those particular areas, like my gate or my front door or things like that, or my shed, I hear alert zone one or alert zone two. What does that tell me? That tells me something's going on out there, and I need to check into it. Uh, so this combines secondary communications and security together. It's one of uh, my favorite technologies and something I think you really need to look into having around your homestead. Next up today is the Berkey guy with Directive21.com. That's Directive21.com. I'll tell you what, you really want to check out the Berkey guy for uh, for a lot of reasons. One, because water is important. He'll help you make sure you have fresh, clean water all the time. Uh, but the main reason you want to check Jeff the Berkey guy out is because he's going to give you the best deals you can get on Berkey anywhere. Uh, he's one of their number one uh, distributors in the United States, and that means he does a lot of volume, so he gets good pricing, he passes it on to you. He's also a huge supporter of the show. He's been with us for about 18 months as a sponsor. Long time in the podcasting world to retain a sponsor. A lot of our sponsors seem to stick around for a very long time. I think that says something about the audience, really, more than anything else. Uh, but it also says they do support what we're doing here. And uh, Jeff's been a big supporter. He's running a, a contest, and today is the last day of that contest. If you haven't heard of the contest, you've been under a rock somewhere. All you got to do is go to a little landing page he set up under your name and email, and you're in the contest. He's giving away two Berkey systems uh, and some other stuff. He's given over $800 of stuff away. Today is the last day to enter the contest, so make sure you do it if you have not done so already. Another thing today is the last day for is the last day to vote for the Survival Podcast for Podcast of the Year. If you haven't done so yet, or if you have been doing so, don't forget to vote today. Every vote counts. Like they say in Chicago, vote early, vote often. Uh, go to podcastawards.com, look at the general category, select Survival Podcast, give them your name, your email, click Submit, and confirm your vote when they send you the verifying email. 
Uh, also, consider checking out the Survival Podcast Gear Shop. We have some really cool stuff coming. I mean, really cool stuff coming uh, in the not-so-distant uh, future in January. We also right now, though, have those AOCS copper rounds. They're the hottest thing we've ever put out. Uh, thousands of them have been ordered. Um, we're doing an initial run of 10,000. I do believe they're going to sell out. Um, I'm, I'm shocked. I didn't expect them to do that well, but uh, I do believe they'll sell out. So get yours while you can. They're anywhere from a dollar twenty-five down to a dollar a piece, depending on how many you buy. So uh, check out the AOCS TSP copper rounds and tech, check out uh, trtam.com, the website that I'm uh, kind of putting alongside of those coins to help educate people about what real money is all about. Uh, last but not least, consider joining the member support brigade. Do that. You'll get exclusive content available only to members, including uh, discounts from about 25 different vendors. You'll get uh, uh, about over $100 worth of free ebooks. You'll get 20 videos by me that are available nowhere else. Uh, and it's just a great way to help support the show. You'll be supporting the show at about 20 cents an episode. And with that, folks, we have wrapped up the housekeeping today. And I'd like to, uh, as I said in the beginning, bring on our special guest today. Marjorie Wildcraft, or what would you prefer for your last name, Marjorie? I mean, you've got the the given name, and then this this Wildcraft thing that goes on, which is the right. I am totally I'm totally loving this Wildcraft name. I, I okay, feel and we have we have my, my Wildcraft. Thanks for being with us today. <laughs> so, where did that come from? Kind of as a kickoff question. Well, uh, you know, I've I actually have wanted to change my name for years, and um, I've been looking for kind of the right name. And um, now that we're doing this DVD and, and stuff like that, we're trying to maintain some semblance of privacy as there is a little bit of, you know, risk of, and, you know, you, somebody knowing your last name, it's about two seconds on the tax rolls and they know where your farm is. Yeah. And, and I think most of your listeners are pretty aware of some security issues around that. And so I said, well, I really would like to get a stage name or, you know, a nom de plume if you want to go the French route. Um, and and also it, it worked out well because I've been wanting to change my name, but I didn't want to piss off my in-laws. So. Gotcha. gotcha. <laughs> now you have a reason to change your name. So so Marjorie Wildcraft, I, I dig that. Um, and of course, folks, you guys know Marjorie because she's been a sponsor of the show for about a year now, and uh, is most well known among the audience for her uh, her DVD uh, backyard food production. And that's all I want to. I want to have you talk about a lot of those things that are on that DVD, but some other things as well today. But what I wanted to kind of start it out with, for, because so many people from the show have bought your DVD and seen it, you know, and, and have seen the stuff that's on it. But I wanted to ask you a little bit about uh, first, why did you why did you put it together? What was the you know obviously any any person in a business wants to have something to offer, uh, but you had more motivation than that. What was the what was the the driving force behind putting together uh, the DVD production? Well, the, the DVD production arose out of, I was teaching a workshop, and it was a one-day workshop, which the DVD is a synthesis of, and it was all about, you know, how do you grow food in your back time, uh, in your backyard, understanding that times, uh, you know, uh, while you're doing this with the idea that times could get very, very difficult. So how can, how can you grow food without buying a whole lot of stuff from the feed store if you're if you're having to buy stuff from the store all the time well then you know you're not really doing much you you really need to be self-reliant as possible and i i had taught this workshop for you know a year or two to a whole lot of groups and and the demand was just huge in fact i'd have people come up to me and say i've got 20 people in my neighborhood and we all want to take it can we book you you know such and such a date and it you know it was a good thing but as you know, anytime you do anything repetitively, and after a while, I was like, "This is 
you know, I need to do something else. And somebody said, hey, why don't you just get somebody to shoot it and, and, uh, and you can turn it into a DVD and then, you know, you can really help spread the word that way. And I thought, oh, that'll be easy. <laughs> and what a mistake. Yeah, what a mistake that was. It really wasn't. This is, is as most of you know, and I really want to thank the listeners of the Survival Podcast. You guys have supported me so much that, and, and so many of the emails I've gotten from you with thanks for what we've done with the DVD and, and, uh, and comments and, and helpful. Thank you so much. If I can just, I, I don't know if I can say that enough. Um, but we, oh gosh, I've lost track of where I'm going. <laughs> But so we anyway we wanted to get the message out there and 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 I you know contacted uh, through some of my students I said who's a videographer and how do we do this and it turns out you have to write a script and I wrote a script it took me about four months and uh, you know working really hard at that and then he said oh you don't have a script so I had to completely rewrite it and I completely rewrote it about four times so we're talking about six months of just you know twelve hour days every moment putting the script together. And then, and then, you know, the day came. We had to do a shoot. It was getting to be June, and soon everything was going to fry up and die, which it does in Texas in July, and we had to shoot. So we, we went ahead and did it. Uh, and then there were months and months of editing and revising, and then finally we, we had a product. So it was a very lengthy process that took a whole lot more out of me than, than I had really wanted to put into it. But if you, if you want to do something well, and we did, uh, it, it takes that kind of effort. Um, the original inspiration for why did we even get into wanting to grow our own food, now that's a whole other topic. And a lot of people who meet me, they've seen the DVD and they want to know more about our background. And I'd, I'd be glad to tell you, I was once um, an electrical engineer and uh, was actually working for Motorola in the cellular telephone industry. And if anybody knows about a hot industry in the corporate world, you know, it's really fast to move up through the corporate ladder if you have any semblance of competency. And, and I was moving up rapidly, and I had this wonderful expatriate position in Hong Kong running a whole cellular telephone network there as an engineering manager. And in Hong Kong, which is like the bastion of capitalism, I, I realized, you know, I'm still just a glorified employee, and I wanted to learn how to have money make money. I figured I was going to be a whole lot better off. And so I started studying a lot about money and eventually moved to Austin, and we started a, a real estate investment business. And nothing huge, you know, nothing really big, but we were we built it up to where we were making a nice income. And, uh, you know, I had dreams of, of competing with Donald Trump, but, you know, we were nowhere near that. And when I finally got a little bit of time, if you make any money in real estate and if you do anything in real estate, you're going to realize you're managing huge amounts of debt. Correct. And I was all interested. Yeah, where does that money come from? You know, you do not just go to your local bank and get a loan from your bank. That's that. But those days are long gone, and all the money kept going back to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. And I kept going, well, what what's their business model? I mean, how do they have all this money? And then when I started to realize their business model, uh, we were going, oh my God, we better maybe this is we need to rethink everything. And also at that time, we were seeing. I mean, the, the real estate business is a nasty business in the first place, but we were seeing fraud like it was unbelievable, just unbelievable amounts of fraud. And we were also, we were, there was a little bit of a downturn, and we were realizing, you know, we're not going to want to try and ride through this downturn. We think it's time to liquidate everything and get out. We think this whole thing is going to collapse. And um, you know, long and short of it is we liquidated everything, all the partnerships and all the partners, and some of them complained pretty bitterly, bitterly in the beginning, but 
by the time it was all over, they came back and thanked us profusely for getting them out. Um, and we, we ended up with just probably a little bit less than what we'd started with. <laughs> <laughs> but it had been a fun ride. You know, no, you, you, know you, didn't, you didn't end up with what so many did end up with after that mess, a lot less than you started with. And I'm, I'm the artist in me, which is all in my head because I can't draw a straight line, is seeing a political cartoon right now that could describe that whole scenario. It could be real estate investors or anybody in 2007 uh, standing atop a huge pile, looking up at the sky saying, we have nowhere to go but up, and underneath the pile where they can't see it, one little strand of support that's just about to fail. And it yeah. seems like you guys saw that. And the you know the motivation to get out was clearly to prevent any more loss than there had to be. But you've been you you like me come from a successful business background, a, a relatively high income background, and just like I've done with the show, making this my life, you've made what you do your life, and your income is remarkably probably less than it was, let's say, than uh, five years ago, six years ago. But would you say it's would you say that the quality of life though is better? Absolutely, and I would not go back. You know, it just it just you know making that much money and living that lifestyle is is not worth it. You know, first of all, what I'm doing now, yeah, it's much less money, but I've got a whole a huge amount of time with my kids. We're eating food that we we couldn't afford to buy. Hmm. You know, we're eating high quality food, um, you know, and we're, we're getting exercise and we're, we're living lives that human beings are meant to live. The corporate lifestyle and the business lifestyle is probably one of the most unhealthy, uh, possible choices you could, you can do <laughs> in this reality. I completely agree with you. It's, uh, it is, it is a world of slavery, and I think that what they've done is they've made it very comfortable slavery so that the slaves will be happy. And it's almost worse than slavery. Because if you look at the traditional model of slavery, if you're my slave, well, I have to give you a place to live. I have to feed you. I have to provide you with care. And I have to make sure that basically you're okay so that you can come out and do whatever slave job I have for you. But in our modern slavery that's based on economy and debt uh, and place in, in, in the class system, you're a slave as much as you would have ever been in the old days. You might live a little bit better, but it, on top of being a slave, you have to fend for yourself. So it's a you know, it's really crazy yeah. if you think about it that way. That's that's totally the realization that I had come to working working in the corporate world and 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 it was just, you know, this is, you know, yeah, I'm really well paid, but this is really just a form of slavery and I, I wanted to get out of that system. And you know, either by luck or by intuition, I'd always gotten into fast moving things and then out of them before they before they imploded because the cellular telephone industry also took a huge downturn just right after I got out of it. So and then the same thing with the real estate. We got into it, and just by the time we got out of it, it was it was taking. So, either by luck or by intuition, I've I've been in the right place at the right time. And when we when we as we were getting out, we were also becoming aware that whatever happened on 9/11, the official story is not the truth. And now, they, when you start to open up to that, as most of you know, there's these huge ranges of all kinds of uh, you know your world gets turned upside down and. and so the 9-11 stuff was really big for us. And then also we went to hear um, Dr. Richard Heinberg, uh, the author of The Party's Over and Peak Oil, and we go, oh, oh, no, you know, and the consequences of what happens without all the fossil fuel that we're utterly dependent on. So we, we got into a very um, 
very panicked, a very fearful space and said, you know, we need to think about what are the most absolute basic essentials and, it, it, you know, food and water. And, and then as we got into it more, of course, and realizing the unbelievable frailty in the, in the food system and, and then eventually all the toxicities in the food system, we were like, wow, you know, we're really right on to try and pursue this. As, as, and, and it's a painful process, you know, to, 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 you know, one time, you know, I had commanded, you know, $5,000 a day for some for particular things, and now mm-hmm. here I am in my tomato patch, and I'm in tears because the whole row of tomatoes is dead, and, and I didn't know what I did, and, and <laughs> you know, <laughs> what am I going to do? It's probably that dadgone fungus that's been miserable on tomato growers for the past few years, but I know what you're saying because you go from a, a place, you know, you mentioned Trump at the beginning. At one time, I was a consultant to one of Trump's companies. And and today I'm a consultant to myself. You know, I sit in my little room and I do my show and I run my garden. I have the same successes and failures that, that you deal with. And I'm more concerned with whether or not that food grows than I really was with whether whether some overpaid person that sat in an office in Manhattan uh, was really happy with the consultant that we were providing. Um, because one mattered about how much we could bill that month. But the other actually matters for my quality of life and actually a sense of accomplishment. As a marketer, it was like if I could get the guy uh, you know, to, to sell X number more units that month, I had succeeded, but there wasn't a lot of real gratification in that. you know. So somebody bought another real estate course, big deal. But if I can grow more food than I can eat, I've actually done something, and that, that changed my personal dynamic. Well, as we got in, you know, so we got into it from a place of fear and panic, which is, you know, it's a route in that, that a lot of people go into. Because to make this kind of a transition, you need, it, you need that much energy behind you. But what the wonderful thing that as the years have gone by, the unbelievable healing to the root chakra, if I can use that terminology, but my sense of security, my sense of place and being in the world, um, groundedness and, and uh, you, you just start to have so many insights and much more clarity into what's going on when you're actually deeply connected to your own food supply which is right in your yard you know when the things that you pour down the drain go right out into the yard over there and you're like A and B are deeply connected you, you know when you're when you're picking food or when you're when you're breeding rabbits and then you're you're eating that and that's the food that's on your table as you're deeply involved in these cycles, there's, there's amazing uh, spiritual realizations and, and development and, and, and incredible healing that goes on at the physical level because you're eating so much more high-nutrient-dense food and you're getting exercise and fresh air. But emotionally and, and, and satisfaction on all levels, it's been tremendous. And, I, you know... It's like what you were saying. I think I heard you quote you as, as gardening. It's the new gateway drug. I'm like... It is. It is. It's a gateway drug to prepping because you garden and you get surplus, and then you know what to do with surplus, so you look up how do I preserve the surplus. Then you can it or dry it or freeze it or whatever, and you put it away, and you go, wow, I have a surplus. And for some people, that's like the first time in their life they've ever had a surplus of anything. And then if they need it even one time, if they lose a job or just have a hiccup or whatever, and they're like, man, I'm glad that food was there, all of a sudden they're like, wow, well, what else could I do? Um, But from what you were saying, and I think we kind of walked a similar path, you go from a point of fear, and then you take action, and then on the other side of that, instead of being afraid, now you're empowered. You may still have, like I, I know you and I share a lot of concerns, and we're concerned, 
but we're not coming from a place of fear anymore because you figured out that you have a hell of a lot more power to do something about it than the system will admit to you. Absolutely, and you, you there's there's a whole um, enlightenment that comes with that. You know, you just aren't as bogged down with things because you're not as tied to it. And I love it. I think it's Derek Jensen has that wonderful saying about if your experience is is that your water comes from the tap and your food comes from the grocery store, that's the system that you'll defend defend to your death. If your food, if your experience is that your food comes from the earth and your water comes from the watershed then those are the systems that you'll defend to your death. And that, that, that deep connection with the earth and, and, the, and the, um, the opening that that is. And the earth is much, much more bountiful than, than the global corporate. <laughs> Absolutely. And much more loving, yeah. You know, the profound thing that you just said there is really that the concept that the water comes from the tap and the, the, the needs come from the corporate system and the distribution system and all is an illusion because on the other side of that, we, we're still back to the earth. And when we, when we allow the illusion to rule, there's a lot of things that based on fear they can convince us to do. I mean, in your experience, like as you decided to start growing your own food and as you started looking at what it took to grow food, you discovered things about what's wrong with the food we eat today, what's wrong with the water we drink today. What are some of those things you've learned on your journey about why why we almost need to be doing, I don't know if you know, there's an old song by the Bellamy Brothers called Old Hippie. And there's a line in it that I love. It says, he's consuming what he's growing nowadays as self-defense. And growing our own food to a degree now is self-defense. Why is that the case for those that may not really be aware of how bad some of those things are? Yeah, absolutely. Let me talk a little bit about butchering. That's one of the sections on the DVD that I've gotten the most feedback from, I'd say. People comment on that, and, and it's always been positive, and even vegetarians saying, you know, I've seen that. That was done really lovingly and, and well, and I really feel that I could do that if I need to now. But I know when I first started uh, butchering animals, I felt so horrible because, you know, here I am killing this little chicken or this bunny or whatever, and I could just go to the grocery store and buy as much meat as I wanted, and I felt there was like some guilt and turmoil around that. But since then, I've learned, you know, no. There, there actually is no meat at the grocery store that is as clean and healthy and as pure and as nutritious as what I'm growing here. Nor, nor were the animals as well, well cared for, and nor did they have the quality of life that your animals do during the time that you're raising them. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, uh, animal, there's, by the way, for most people, you know, of course, most of the, the commercially raised meat is fed either corn or soy, and animals are toxin accumulators. So, you know, it takes, I don't know how many pounds of uh, corn to make one pound of chicken or one pound of beef, but all the stuff that they sprayed on that corn gets, that ten times of that gets accumulated into that one pound of meat. So if you can eliminate commercial meat out of your diet, I was just talking to a, a doctor doctorate in nutrition and he was saying you can eliminate commercial meat out of your diet you will reduce your toxicity load by 80 percent unbelievable unbelievable yeah so so my crazy statement over the years of it's not the meat it's what's in the meat isn't crazy after all yeah and i would also say you know for people who are vegetarians and i've been a vegetarian off and on over the years you know exploring that and i i feel in some ways that you know maybe you're guiding uh, your inner guidance keeping you away from what is really truly a toxic product. And, mm. you know, whatever, whatever reasons you might have had for being a vegetarian are certainly good, but you might want to look deeper in that, um, you know, there, there's more possibility there. 
But the food, uh, you know, some of the movies like Food Incorporated and King, Con- uh, King Corn and, uh, you know, some of Barbara Kingsolver's books, Animal Vegetable Miracle, and some of these others really go into a tremendous amount of detail on the, the problems with the commercial food supply. And, and basically, it's got that we've made it so big and so mechanized and so chemical dependent that and the, the soils have been so depleted. There's so many studies that show decade after decade that they're pouring more chemicals on it, the yields are getting lower, and the nutritional quality is going down and down and down. You know, even when I was a kid growing up, people used to say, and I mean, I'm like, you know, this is like in the 1960s, and people would say, oh, you know, a tomato just doesn't taste like a tomato anymore. The, the nutritional quality was going down even then. And now people, I, I, you know, most people I would say, haven't eaten vegetables. If you think you don't like vegetables, it's because you haven't eaten vegetables. That's that's a great point. That at least in the '60s, and I remember in the '70s, um, growing up, with people knew the difference. They would like accept it because it was at the store, and they only had so much time to do things for themselves. But they knew it wasn't the same. They knew that milk didn't taste the same as it did from a cow. They knew all of these things. And today. We've kind of, you know, Gen X, Gen Y, and the Internet Native generations, those three generations, they've never eaten, in many cases, an actual tomato. They don't know what a tomato tastes like. Because um, if you've grown your own, which, it, it doesn't taste anything like what you buy in the store. It, 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 even to me. I've never eaten real food. Yeah. yeah. Even to me, like when you go to the store, if you even buy the freshest, most organic tomato you can find in a grocery store, it still doesn't compare to eating something that's supposed to warmth of the sun and was pulled off the vine 10 minutes ago. It, it, it can't. It, it's physically impossible for the energy level of that food to re- remain intact, transported through a modern distribution system. It, it can't happen. It can be better than the alternative, but it's, it's, it's not the same. I, before we talk more on the vegetables, I want to pull you back on the animals again, because you brought something up that I think is really important. Um, I myself have always had a problem with especially small livestock that has been hand-fed and things like that, killing it. And for me, that's maybe different than for maybe some other people because I was born and raised as a hunter. Um, From the time I was old enough to draw a bow or or aim a rifle, I was out pursuing game. And I have absolutely zero problem with, you know, here comes a deer and and, and I take that animal and use it for food. Uh, No remorse whatsoever. Certainly a great... Uh, respect for it, but not uh, a remorse for taking that life. And for me, taking life of something that, it, but that animal was taken, let's say, in a natural state on its own terms, where I had to earn the right to it. And then it's kind of the shooting fish in a barrel thing for me with, you know, killing a chicken or killing a rabbit. But what I saw you bring to it was a certain reverence for the life that sort of maybe takes the place of having to earn it through a hunt, but simply to offer it, if that makes sense. And, and did that help you? Yeah, yeah. As, as, as you get into this, and, and you know, people uh, talk about, you know, there's so much to learn about livestock, and, and certainly some of the toughest decisions are, are which ones do you select to eat and which ones do you keep for breeding stock, and then how do you make that decision? And to be honest with you, I always procrastinate. <laughs> it's time to butcher. I'm always like... I'll do that tomorrow. Well, maybe I'll do that the next day. You know, it's not its not an easy thing. And to be honest with you, I don't ever want it to get easy. If it's not something that I'm not on a, on emotional edge with and I feel that I'm losing contact with, with 
with the pain of it and and i don't i don't want to lose that because that i feel that if you lose that you're going to lose some of your humanity um but yeah i mean I, you're probably a big fan like i am of joel salatin and i remember reading yeah. one of the things where somebody got an actual opportunity to interview him because that's pretty hard to pull off but he was talking about killing chickens and how to do it and how to do it so that they don't really realize what's going on and it's kind of but what it, one of the things he said that was very profound to me was don't do it every day don't do it to the point where you become desensitized to it always have some level of you know some some feeling some emotion in what you're doing or you lose respect for the life itself Yeah, I also I don't I don't really I wouldn't be able to do it commercially. You know, I wouldn't yeah. be able to sell things commercially. I mean, occasionally as a gift to a, a really good friend or somebody in need, I'll, I'll, I'll butcher. But you know, I, I'm just I just can't do it that way. And I and I do. You know, the the these animals have had really good lives. I mean, we really and I truly truly. You know, I know that my life is dependent on eating, on eating this, and it really gets down to that primal of a level. I, I am dependent on this little animal's life to feed me, and that's that's what the whole circle of life is about. And for a time, he's dependent on you to feed him. That's right, and it's a mutual thing. It's very much like the corn. Um, I, I've gotten into growing corn, and I know in the video we talked about corn. Sweet corn is actually not a really good crop to grow because it requires a lot of water and a lot of fertility but i've discovered these flower corns that are actually super hardy and don't need nearly as much like the hopi blue corn and some of these red corns um and i grew a pretty big patch of it because calorie crops are are something you're eventually going to want to get into and i was stunned these corns don't grow without human intervention and, and most of the livestock we have like the chickens and rabbits they aren't going to grow without human intervention there these are our species that we have spent so much time and interaction we're in deep relationship with and the corn you'd go out there and you could feel that relationship mm -hmm. you knew i was tending this corn i was taking care of this corn i was removing its competitors i was nourishing it and i was watering it and and spend, just spending time with it and and it offered you know it offered to me beautiful ears of of seed And, and food, that sustenance, and, and I've taken that and I've saved some for next year and I'm, I'm eating the rest of it and I, there's a very deep relationship and I feel very much in touch with all the, all the hundreds and hundreds of people that have done that before me and that this seed has been passed down through. Uh, and there, there's an incredible connection there. And also, and the same is true with the animals. It's, it's harder to get to the animals, especially mammals. You know, because we are mammals and it, it's closer to our own species. But but you can get into this. I've actually, not always, but there are times when I've I've been with the rabbits and I've told them what they're going to undergo and that I was going to make it as quick and as painless as possible. And and I you know as I hope my own death is. And and realistically, it is going to be a sharp pain. And then 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 it'll be over. And then they'll be on another journey. And there have been lots of times when the when the rabbits. Are, are completely calm throughout the whole process. Um, and even the, the normal spasms that happen in death, they, the body, it even didn't do that. There was just this incredible peace. Now, I, I, that doesn't happen to me all the time. And sure. by all means, the first ones we did, oh, my God, they were some turkeys, and they were running around the yard spewing blood everywhere. Yeah, to become better at the, at, at the, the, the craft, the act of, of taking a life. And... Uh, How does your family react to all this? How do they feel about eating, you know, 
they're friends in a way. I mean, it's it kind of is. Yeah, it is. My daughter loves the little bunnies, and when they come out, she's always playing with them and teaching them to jump. She puts them on the trampoline, you know. Like, I don't think you need to teach rabbits to jump, but yeah. You know, and she names them all, and um, but as they get older, you know, she knows, she knows, and and then and then she's right there with me doing the butchering usually, and she's asking about what organ is what, and she's like, poor little bunnies, and this one was so soft, I wish we didn't have to do that, and she's fully involved in it. My, my son, on the other hand, he he raises rabbits as a little side business, kind of a 4-H project, and he just prefers not to have anything to do with the butchering at all. He, mm-hmm. but he, Definitely loves eating the rabbit enchiladas, and he understands the process. He just doesn't want to go there. And 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 it's you know he's he's 11, and there'll be there'll be time when when he'll realize what he needs to, and for whatever reason he 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 can't do it now, and that's fine. So there's you know all different you know you know when you get kids you they really are their own little individuals. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So with all of the rabbits, and, and you do some things with other, you don't really do. Uh, chickens or the geese for meat, but they have other purposes. But with all of that, the eggs that come from the other fowl, the gardening, how much of your own food are you able to produce at this point? At, for, for me personally, at least half, and, and sometimes more depending on the season. Now, my family, I'm the only one working to produce food at the time, so <laughs> I, I supply them with a pretty good bit of meat and, and, and also the excess vegetables. But, you know, realistically, my kids, they want to eat macaroni and cheese on occasion, and they want, you know, chips and things like that. So, and, and they're not doing as much work as they need to. So, you know, I'm totally happy with it at this point because I know if we needed to, you know, if you can grow half or three-quarters, something drastic happens, then, yes, we can shift the whole family over and, and ramp up production, and we're, you know, there's a, a safety net there. So that's that's what works with we all have you know we're modern people we've, we've got dental appointments and 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 interviews and promotions of DVDs and all this other stuff that comes with life so I can't dedicate my whole time just to growing food um, but yeah about half at least um, maybe three quarters I, the other quarter or so I um, barter or trade or buy from from local you know farmers and neighbors. Um, and then I do import some things, and it, listen to the listen, listen to the things that I primarily import. Because there's a real lesson in there: avocados, and butter, and chocolate, um, and oils. And it turns out that uh, one of the more difficult things to grow on farm are fats. Sure, sure. It's yeah. People talk about the fat of the land, and and it's it's actually pretty difficult to to grow fat. That's why I think livestock is such a huge component of what we need to be doing on some levels. Uh, very little fat on rabbits, but there's, I, I think there's more than people would think on a domesticated uh, livestock rabbit versus a, a mountain rabbit. But the, the reality to me is that when we look out, not at a modern lawn, but at real grass, you know, real grass like a pasture, and, and we look at that, that is a tremendous amount of potential calories in the form of carbohydrates, fat, and protein. But we as human beings have a very low capacity for that conversion. But our animal species are great at converting that, and then that conversion is done by them, and we consume them. And I, it sounds harsh, but the you know there's a, I can't remember the author, but there's a guy that wrote a, a piece called that said the world is one of the predator, and it, there is some level of that, but. 
you're right, the fats. And I mean, I've always been like, you know, if I want a pineapple, if I want a pineapple, I'll go buy a pineapple. And because of that, somebody that runs a pineapple farm on some other part of the world can earn some income. And there's nothing wrong with trade, uh, even on a larger scale. But if I can grow something, I'm going to first try to grow it. If I can't grow it, I'm then, and then I'm going to try to get it locally. If I can't get it locally, then I'm going to try to buy organic and, and fair trade. And, and only when all of that fails am I going to result to the Walmart option. And I think that's kind of what you're yeah. saying, that we have to put a priority uh, level in there. But, yeah, fats are, are tough. I mean, you, you know, they can talk about corn oil all you want, but you don't get a lot of oil out of an ear of corn. No, you don't. Yeah, you're not really going to do that on the homestead. And there's, you know, we're looking at other things like growing peanuts or or sunflower mm-hmm. sunflower seeds. And we actually have, along with the DVD, is a CD-ROM full of documents that support. And we have a whole bunch of information there on growing seeds and processing seed oils and 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 that kind of thing. To to go back to the animals for a second, one thing I've been very passionate about is learning how, you know, of course, you, wherever you live, it always looks like it's better somewhere else. And so I've been traveling to a lot of other places and saying, you know, what is it like? Is it easier living in the Ozarks? You know, they got better rainfall. they got better soil. You know, what would it look like there? But they're going to need they're going to need to do a little bit more for heating and firewood in the winter. Or, uh, you know, so I've traveled all over and, and been visiting permaculture sites and organic farms and sustainability sites. And I, I said, you know what? I'm addicted to chocolate. I want to live sustainably. Let's move to Costa Rica. So I spent quite a bit of time down there uh, researching the tropics and what does it look like to live in the tropics. And I was stunned to meet uh, you know, 20-year vegetarians that were raising chickens and goats and everything and saying even in the tropics it is easier to raise animal products than it is fruits and vegetables. Absolutely. And and, and it all goes to what you were saying also in that they can convert grass and insects and things that we don't normally eat or can't really process very well. And, you know, they can withstand temperature changes and they can withstand, you know, rain or, or, or heat. You know, they can move around. They're, they're much more robust. So animal products are, are you know, they're just, um, you know, a, a going to be a fact of life for a self-reliant homesteader. Also, uh, Dr. Weston Price, who... Boy, I don't know if you've had anybody on talking about his work, but he was a dentist and lived at a time period, and in most of the decade of the 1930s, he traveled around the world looking for the healthiest people and seeing what they ate and how they lived, and it turned out the healthiest people in the world were not eating a modern civilized diet. Shocking. The diet. <laughs> yeah, isn't that amazing? Yeah, and um, and interesting. I think he had a whole vegetarian slant when he started out, but he found that all of them ate animal products to some extent, often more more of an extent than you would imagine than not. Look, if you look at like some of the the indigenous peoples that before we modernized their diet and ruined it for them, that were extremely healthy, uh, we look at like the Inuit and. They weren't exactly eating a lot of corn and potatoes because, you know, it doesn't grow real well where there's permafrost. Um, yeah. And they're, they were living on seal meat and, and, and whale blubber and muskox and living on a, a diet that was 90% meat and, fat, and high fat. And yet they were lean and healthy people. And people say, well, because, you know, they were highly physically active. But, I mean, that only goes so far with me. I've never met... Um, an indigenous native population of people, be it for direct interaction or through a documentary where they were really living in a traditional way, they spent a lot of time in gyms lifting weights or things like that. They do functional things that put strain on the body, 
but they pretty much live the way that they choose, which is is not getting on a hamster wheel and, and running, be it metaphorically or, or realistically, with a treadmill. It's the the quality of the nutrients that they're consuming, and then we can go to the jungles where a person's diet is different, and maybe it's 25-40% meat and a lot of vegetables, but the commonality anyway is there's no hormones, there's no genetically modified organisms, there's no pesticides, there's no all of this modern crap that they tell us we need, and I think that was as much a driver for you as you developed your systems as, you know, what if everything fails? It, it maybe would yeah. you say now that it's more about self-preservation for if nothing goes wrong than even if something does go wrong? Well, you're, you're, you know, I have a, a good friend of mine, and, uh, not, you know, we don't talk or see each other that often, and uh, there was a two-year period, and I just saw her recently, and I didn't recognize her, and she had lost 80 pounds. Holy. I said, I said Levon, what is the biggest thing that you've noticed? You've lost, you just, I don't even recognize you anymore. What is the biggest thing? And she said, you know, getting out of my car. She said it used to be this huge effort to get out of my car every time, and now I just seem to bounce out of my car. And it, I, I had this big realization that how you are in your physical body is the experience you have of the world. And so at this point in time, my and I've done every diet that is out there, but my focus now is how much nutrition can I extract from the foods that I eat? And does that mean I need to process it with the nixtamalization or does that mean mean I need to steam it lightly or does that mean I need to eat it raw or you know but my objective is is how can I maximize the amount of nutrition that's and make it as easily digestible to my body as possible so that I can you know my whole point now is maximizing my health and which uh, and that's you know one of the huge benefits that we've had over the years from this is feeling so much better in my body, you know, just alive and present and clear uh, in a way, sort of like LaVon, like she's had this huge change. And, um, and like, you know, wow, when, when you feel good, your whole experience of life changes. So it's, it really impacts a whole lot more uh, than, than, you would, than you would first guess, thinking, oh, you know, I've got to prepare for the world and the end of the world as we know it. You know, um, I, I completely agree with, with every bit of that. As, as, as you do look at maximizing nutrition and you're, you're looking at the, the, the plants to grow in the backyard, whether it's a fairly large place like yours, a moderate-sized place like mine, or even a small suburban lot, what are some of the crops people should look to? What are some of the things that they should be growing um, I know grow what you like, obviously. If you, I've seen people grow a bunch of turnips and they go, I don't know what to do with them. I don't really like turnips. I'm like, well, what you, you grow them for? You know, but I mean, yeah. what are some of the core crops that really people should be looking at? Yeah, absolutely. And let me also, let's do a little diversion for people that are in apartments out there and people say, oh, I'm in an apartment. I can't get started right now. Learning to grow is a long, arduous process. Start with a few herbs in the window. And if I'm in an apartment, I'd get a couple of grow lights and I'd start growing wheatgrass juice. We'll mm. grow wheatgrass. Young wheatgrass can be juiced and you can create this unbelievable multivitamin for yourself that, you know, you can, for pennies on the dollar, you can get some of the most incredible bioavailable nutrition uh, and, and get, just get a small grinder and make that work. And you're not only going to be ramping up the amount of nutrition that you're getting into your body, but you'll be learning about working with, you know, grass and how to grow it or, be, and of course, the herbs 
and people underestimate herbs um, in the window. And I have a girlfriend, um, and I was helping her get started. And uh, she just had a few of the basics, you know, basil is pretty indestructible and rosemary and just, you know, just a few of the, the ones like that. And she said, you know, you know, Marjorie, I can't believe it. You know, I'm feeding my family the same old slop, but I'm putting fresh herbs in there. Mm-hmm. And they're, they think it's a whole new dish. They're going, yep. hey, Mom, you know, what, what's that? That's really good. Or, hi, hon, you know, this is really good. You know, what's the new recipe? And she's like, it's the same stuff. I'm just putting fresh herbs in there. You know, don't underestimate the power of starting really small if that's all you've got. You know, there's that that would be my number one recommendation. Um, in terms of nutrient, that's a, and that brings up a whole other topic of thinking about plants differently. I generally have kind of three broad categories of the way I think of plants, and one is I think of them as nutrient crops. So, you know, your your kales and your spinaches and the, and the chickweed and and, and um, you know, in, in the winter time, and then maybe like the purslane and the lamb's quarters or the amaranth and those kind of things in the summer times. And those, you know, you're going to get a, just a huge amount of, of nutrition out of those. Not a lot of calories, though, and that's the other distinction is what crops are really going to, you know, fill your belly. So that would be the, you know, the potatoes or the sweet potatoes or the turnips uh, or corn. Um, so I think of, of nutrient crops, and then I think of calorie crops, and then the third kind of crop is one that just for fertility for the soil. So those would be kind of compost crops, carbon crops is what uh, the biointensive method calls them. Um, so there's some; those are broad categories. We go into a lot of different ones, as as um, as mentioned on the on the DVD, and we have other some. You know, one of the one of the great things that I'm really interested in is how much stuff is out there growing already that you might not be aware of it, like acorns. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. You're yeah, big on those, you know, aren't you? That's one of your favorite things, isn't it, is acorn flower? Totally, you know, and I just, last Thanksgiving we had this, and I put it in the newsletter, we had this big freeze. I mean, we went from 65 degrees one night to 20 degrees the next night, and, and I lost about half of my garden. You know, even the broccoli and stuff that can normally, they just that's just too steep of a drop. It's the speed of the shift that, that does it in those scenarios. That was it, yeah. So, and I'm, you know, at that point, you're walking into your pantry and you're going, thank God for the squashes. You know, I've saved yeah. and, you know, and then you're going, oh, gosh, you know, thank you for the pantry. But I'm thinking, what am I going to do? And I'm like, well, there's some oak trees over there, and I haven't been getting those acorns. I'm going to go get those acorns, you know. It's really interesting how much that can be all around you um, that's available. And, of course, those acorns are going to have a huge amount more nutrition than, than the potatoes that you would grow or other things that you would grow, just because they're the, the wild foods seem to have just a lot more potency to them. Let's talk about using those for a minute, because I'll, I'll tell you my experiences. Like one time I decided I was going to get all creative and do this and learn how to leach the tannins and all. So we cut the acorns and we blended them up and we leached the tannins. And I made this traditional Indian acorn bread. Uh, wasn't really that good. Then oh, I was, really? yeah, it, it was kind of crumbly and it didn't have a really good texture. And then somebody said, well, why don't you make bread using half whole wheat uh, flour, fresh ground flour, and mix the two together? That was amazing. You know, that was yeah. a different, different scenario altogether where the pure acorn meal to me was very dry and lacked any kind of texture that I would associate with bread. But when I brought the two worlds together, I got the nutrition, and the flavor was actually really wonderful because I think it had something to complement it. 
Yeah, you know, I was actually just reading about the, the Native Americans in, in, in these Midwestern, Southern regions, and they said they very rarely ever made a bread with just one thing alone. They were always mixing all different kind of seeds together and, and making to make breads out of. When I'd made it before, yeah, I'd used a mixture of wheat and um, I think it was amaranth and, and, and the, uh, the acorns, probably about a third and a third and a third. I loved it. I, and I totally lucked out. If you've got a bur oak in your yard, and I don't know if anybody has one of these, they make these gigantic, I mean, they're Texas-sized acorns. They look, they're really the size of golf balls. Well, you should thank your lucky stars and go pee by that tree regularly because, man, those, <laughs> those things are so good and they're so easy to process. You get a big chunk of acorn, you know, for just a little bit of processing. Yeah, my neighbor has one, and and if you know, I've got these two red oaks that were planted, and they're just not as good, obviously, for for tannin reasons and smaller acorns. But uh, when I first discovered it, I was out in my yard, and I'm just kicking the acorns around, and there's this acorn, like you said, like a putt putt golf ball. And yeah. uh, it turns out that's the tree. So he's, I'm like, can I get some of your acorns? He looks at me like I'm a retard. You know, he's like, yeah, whatever, you can have them. And I mean, most people just don't understand that 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 is a a huge, not just a source of nutrition. Like some alternative thing, but a very traditional nutritional source. Yeah, and there and there again is a source of fats. You know, they've got a pretty high fat content, as well as you know the other traditional walnuts and, and pecans and things like that. But there again is the fats, which, you know, depending on where people are at right now, I wouldn't try to focus on fats early on in your stages of development. But it's some, you know, oftentimes knowing the map can help you help guide you with a little more clarity on on what to focus on. And there are some easy things that can bring some of it, like like you mentioned amaranth. Amaranth has a reasonable fat profile, a huge protein profile. Um, and, and I've never tried this. Maybe you have, so you can tell me if, if I'm uh, on the right track with it ever or not. But um, last year I found these this lamb's quarter uh, growing in um, this area that I like, kind of do for some primitive skill practicing and fishing and stuff like that. And the whole field was brown dead, like it gets here in the, in the summer. And there was about five of these plants um, that were surviving and doing fairly well. So I started watering them, and I got them through to where they went to seed. I collected the seed. I grew some in my garden this year. And w- taking that natural strain and bringing it into a, a garden environment, it went crazy, and it grew like six and a half feet tall. And off of yeah. one plant, I said, well, I'm going to save the seeds. So I cut all the branches off and just started shoving them, you know, raking them off into a bucket and I got about four inches deep in the bottom of a five-gallon bucket of, uh, of lamb's quarter seed. And they're tiny, but I went, that's, that's grain. There's a lot that could probably be, to be done with that. Lamb's quarter is amazing. Yeah, and I, I'll often uh, you know, grind those up along with some wheat and make a bread and just really have a, a nutrient power punch. And it's got a wonderful flavor, too. One of my favorite resources, I love Linda Runyon's books, and then she's now got a video out. One of the things I love about it is she has nutritional content for almost all of these wild plants, uh, and 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 I love that resource. But lamb's quarters is my like I live on lamb's quarters during the summer. You know, it's one of those green vegetables that'll still do well even in 100 degrees. You know, and then you're right, the the seeds are so prolific, and it's really easy to collect. And and it's it's a tough plant. I love tough plants. I like things that survive. You know, even when I forget to water or what you know whatever comes up, and and you miss it because, you know, we're not none of us are perfect, and none of us have the full attention to to this that we want to have. You know? Sure. 
You know, hey, you you mentioned the lambs quarters and how tough they are. You have a you share my view actually, and we have a different view than I think a lot of people do about what people call an invasive species. You want to share people what your view with what your view of invasive species is? Yeah, you know, I just went to. Uh, oh my gosh, I got to tell people about these resources. You know, the the federal government and all the different state governments are all up in arms about invasive species, and our government seems to be a one trick pony. And if there's a problem, it wants to go to war with it. And so they're going to war on these invasive species. Uh, and, you know, I, to me, I'm thinking if something really grows well and it's prolific and it's edible or useful or something, you know, please, please invade me. I, you know. Especially if it fixes nitrogen, right? I mean, if we can get something that will nitrify our soils without, you know, splitting atoms off of, uh, of natural gas, that seems like something you'd kind of want around. Um, well, you know, they, they, but let me go back to this. This is um, they have uh, so they have these invasive plants of southern forests, which is this incredible book uh, that shows all these detailed pictures of how to identify. I don't know. There's some 28 invasive species that they've they've discovered for the South. This would totally be applicable for Texas to Georgia, Virginia, West Virginia, that whole area in there. And then they have other regions of the country and i believe it's at www.invaders.org but they'll send you this free book on how to identify these plants uh, I'll, I'll link to that in the show notes i'm writing it down so i don't forget right now keep keep going absolutely and the neat thing is is so you know one of the big challenges for those of us getting into this is botany is so crucial you've got to learn your plants and you've got to learn more about plants i mean plants are everything that's where our food comes from that's where our medicines come from our fibers you know, the dyes and all the, you know, everything we want to do is coming from plants and, and botany is just, and it's not an easy thing to learn. It's an oral tradition. It's very difficult to learn from books. And whenever you can get any help at all, it's it's good. And the, so the, the government is going to war with these invasive plants. And in order to help us all, they've put together these really fabulous-looking books with all kinds of information <laughs> about where they grow and what height. Um, and it's a great. And then there's this online database that you can go online, and they've been training people to identify these plants and then mark them with GPS locators and cameras, and they'll take a picture of it, and then they put it in this database. So you can go up online and look around you, and there may be some database entries, and somebody says, well, here's a Chinese tallow tree, and it's at this GPS coordinate. Well, then you can go look for it, and you've got this book with all these pictures, and you know where it is. It's the next best thing to having a personal guide take you to teach you, you know, what a Chinese tallow tree looks like. And, of course, they're doing it to go to war with these species, but we can utilize it so that we can find them as resources. Because, I mean, like... And and some of them are edible or useful or, you know, um, quite frankly, I was telling the Forest Service guy, I said, you know what, if you put a rumor out there that the roots of the Chinese tallow will get you high and you'd get that out on college campuses, you won't have any Chinese Dig up every tree that there was around. And, you know, and, and if you look at some of the classic ones, like one of the, and to be fair, one of the, the, the plants that really has had in some ways a very negative effect would be kudzu. But, yeah, where kudzu's native, it's, they eat it and it's a pot herb and they feed it to hogs and uh, it's, a, it's a staple of their agriculture. And then we look at it and go, look at this horrible kudzu, uh, but then we don't utilize it. So since we don't utilize it, it doesn't have any natural um, uh, herbivores that are consuming it here. It does kind of run rampant. But a lot of the other things that they seem so concerned about, I look at and go, well, this seems like a pretty good thing to me. It's, like I said, especially anything that fixes nitrogen. And then the other side of that is I think that 
the reason we have problems with any species is because we've stopped understanding life cycles. And if you look at anything that's really aggressive and tenacious and outlasts other plants, if you leave it alone, it actually runs through a cycle of secession and as larger species take over, so you take some weeds that are have deep tap roots and uh, can handle drought and stuff like that, and you see them out in the middle of this pasture, and they've overtaken the native grasses and everything. Oh, look how horrible that is. Well, you give it time, and then you know, season after season they die, and these fast carbon pathways are left in the ground, and other plants are able to use that space and because it's broken up that once fallow soil and started to nutrify it, and next thing you know there's bushes and shrubs, and then there's forest. Well, if, right. if we let it happen, it, it, it all works itself out. But if we're trying to hold it at a place in time and prevent secession, that's when everything falls apart. I've, I've read that if Texas had not made war on fire ants, that the fire ants, there would have been another predator that would have come in a long time ago, and we wouldn't have a fire ant problem. Because you're right, there's, you know, if there's a big abundance of something, life is going to bring something else in that will take advantage of it, and there will be cycles that things move through. And those those plants come in for a good reason. I really believe that the nature's design is, has a, a whole lot more wisdom than we do. Or Bill, Bill Molson says, I use 100% native species. Every single species that I use in my permaculture is native to planet Earth. <laughs> like, wow. <laughs> that was shut the argument down. Exactly, and you know we're we're really uh, you know I don't want to get into why we're having so many climactic changes, but it, it, you just can't deny that uh, there's reports all over the world of you know anomalous weather events and 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 you know farmers that you know here in Central Texas we never used to be able to grow olives and citrus, and now people are doing very well with that, and it's you know it's quite frankly it's because it's things are warming up. So and we're dealing with more and more crazy stuff. So you know, if you find a species that works for you, I, you know, don't worry too much about where it comes from. You know, because things are things are changing. We're into a period of of intense change. So you know, and if uh, we tried to so do all native species in North America, we'd have pretty bland diets. I mean, there's not a lot of stuff that we eat every day that's native. To, peppers aren't native to North America. You know, many of the squashes that we find palatable aren't native to. Some are, but a lot of the ones that we frequently eat aren't native to North America. Um, you know, so we'd be all eating corn and 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 blackberries. I mean, you know, I mean, and maybe some little persimmons here and there. There's the, the, the everything that we look at and go, okay, well that's acceptable probably came from somewhere else to begin with. Yeah. Well, anyway, there's this incredible resource, which I'd highly recommend everybody utilize from that the forest department is putting together. For and, again, that's called Nuisance Species of Southern Forests. Is that what that's Or Invasive it's Species? It's called Invasive Plants in Southern Forests, the okay, field guide for the identification of. And they'll send you this wonderful book for free. In fact, they sent me a box of 25 of them, and I was sending them out to natives, neighbors and there's another great resource is uh, master naturalist clubs that are around the country. And, uh, you know, these are people that are just studying, you know, the, the, the birds and the flowers and the plants. And what a wonderful resource. Um, Very cool. There's, there's, yeah. Have you ever uh, looked at a site called plantsforthefuture.com? Yes. And that's that was where awesome I was going to go with next. You know, I was looking at one of these. And so the autumn olive, which grows a bit in the south, but it's a bigger problem up in the northeast, is, is an invasive plant. But you go to the Plants for a Future database and just type in any one of these invasive plants, and the Plants for a Future will tell you whether it's an edible or medicinal, and then there will be lists of comments of people who have grown it or have seen it or have used it. 
that is an unbelievable resource. I mean, those guys are incredible. They're really very forward thinking. I, I love their their website, and I'm constantly using it. At Plants for Future, P F A F dot I believe it's dot org, and you can um, you can buy their database from them, or offer them a donation, which which I highly recommend. But if, you know, if you're not there, don't worry about it. They, it's a free online resource. And it's incredible. And, yeah, so I've started typing in these invasive plants, and, and they're on the PFAF. They're telling me, wow, this, you know, this thing is edible. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> and they also tell you things like, you know, this plant is good for medicine, or this plant fixes nitrogen, or this plant uh, is, is good at creating uh, root pathways because it, it only lives one season, or it's a biannual, and it doesn't recede well. So they give you all these applications beyond just, uh, you know, the basic edible, non-edible thing. Right, yeah, it's a it's an incredible resource. Every, everybody should be looking into that one, and and combined with this invasive species, I'm thinking the invasive species thing is you know they're telling me this plant is abundant. They're telling me you know usually you have a question if you're going to be doing some ethical wildcrafting, especially on you know forest land or something like that. But if this is an invasive species, they want you to take to take it. Correct. Yeah. They're also telling you if you if you have your own piece of land and you want to plant something that's going to grow, whether they like it or not, you know, it is your land, um, then this is something that will grow because how many times have you tried to grow something you really want to grow and it was really hard to get it healthy and growing and vibrant? And, and these are things that, you know, somebody throws a pit out in the, the woods and next thing you know there's a couple acres of it. So there's a responsibility, I guess, with using something that has that ability, but it also tells you your chances of success are pretty good. That's that's right. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it, it's an incredible resource. I think we should take advantage of it while it all exists. You know, gosh, the, their budget and funding is probably going to be cut next year. So. Yeah, I'm going to order that free book like now, and I'll make sure there is links in the show notes. Hey, what would you say to somebody, uh, Marjorie? We talked a little bit about apartments and herbs and all, but what about the person with you know that typical tenth acre suburban lot? How much of this stuff can they do? What are some ideas for them? Because I've always said, I don't care if your home is a box, you know, make your box the best it could be. Um, so we got a lot of people living in little or big giant houses on little pieces of land. What can they do with that little piece of land? Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, actually starting small and having a small piece of land is probably a good thing. You know, we had a lot of land and we started out huge and, and what we ended up with was a lot of frustration and weeds and it was difficult. So starting small is is really good. I mean, just a little, even four foot by four foot garden um, would be great. And one of the best resources for really starting small is Mel Bartholomew's square foot gardening. And, and he does a great job of teaching you how to plant just in one foot squares. And I really recommend starting small. Start small and have success. Uh, you know, if you start large and you get overwhelmed with it and have a large failure, it's, it's harder to recover from. The other thing I highly recommend to everybody apartment dwellers, homeowners, whatever, start a compost pile. You know, you can have a little compost pile under the sink with worms. You can you can have a little compost pile out in the backyard or the garage. If it's done well, it will not be uh, odiferous. It won't, won't smell bad. Um, and fertility is so important, and building soil is so important. In the biointensive method, which is the complete method for growing food self-reliantly, uh, you know, a good two-thirds of the focus of all the plants that you grow in that method is solely for fertility. It's solely to keep regenerating the soil. 
So they have a lot of things like comfrey and, and other plants that grow large biomass, have huge nutrient loads, mine nutrients from the soil, bring them to the surface, and make them bioavailable, and not necessarily for you to put on your dinner plate. Exactly. So that, that's another level of gardening, but just keep, keep that in mind that fertility is the key to the green thumb. If you want to have a green thumb, you really need to have good soils. And if you're having problems in your garden, most likely it's because you're your soil isn't isn't as healthy as it as it needs to be. Most of the vegetables that we're we are used to eating and want to eat, you know, the broccoli and the carrots and tomatoes, require a pretty fertile soil. And most of us, you know, the really good soil has been paved over long ago, <laughs> and it's you know out of our reach to buy river bottom property from sure. most of us. So you know, most people are going to be looking at how to, and that's humanity's job going forward. We've destroyed so much soil. We're going to need to now go back and start building soil. I think if you if you have a place that has great soil, well, that's great. But if you don't learn to build soil anyway, the only thing you're going to eventually do is destroy the soil that you were gifted with. Um, absolutely, yeah. When you garden the way that you do, when you garden the way that you learn to from the permaculture world, every year the soil seems to get better. I mean, my beds that are that are five years old, when I stick my hand into them now, even though I only ever, you know, really worked on the top six inches in the summer when it's moist and there's, the ground's not hard from being frozen or anything, I can stick my hand in up to my elbow. And, and I didn't do anything with, you know, that's that's 20 inches of soil. And I didn't do anything with the, you know, 18 inches below the, the first six. But it's that way now because of lots of organic matter, because of worms, because of creatures, because of fungi, because of mulching, because of protecting it. But the soil that's really here is black gumbo clay. They say you can't grow anything in except a pecan tree. And yet I have pepper plants that the branches break off because they're the size of little pumpkins. And that's all from taking care of what you have. And, and compost fixes everything. It'll Correct. fix that black gumbo, it'll fix the red clay, it'll fix sand, it'll, and, and if you've got just rocks, <laughs> you can even grow in compost on rocks. You know, it, it really is the magic elixir and, and what the focus needs to be. Also, if people have a small yard, and, and let's say you've maximized it out and you've got a couple hundred square feet of bed space and you're really rocking and rolling, well, there's lots of resources out there. I mean, you know, a lot of the community gardens are totally booked now, um, although you could start a whole new one. And I understand that um, Michael Dell's brother started a website which connects people up that have a backyard with people that want to have uh, a garden. And the, so, you know, there's, I, I gosh, I wish I could remember the name of that, but it's a, a shared uh, a sharing agreement where you can go and, and garden in somebody else's backyard. Cool. Um, and there, there are ways to network and link up like that. So, and, and also, you just don't know where you're going to be in two or three years from now. I mean, I think we all recognize there's just incredible changes going on. So, learn what you can with what you've got. You don't, you know, you don't know if you're going to be moving out into the countryside in a year or two from now. Believe me, my life has changed so radically. <laughs> I can't, you know, I totally can see. I bet you, if in 1995 somebody told you what 2010 was going to look like, not for the world, but for you you would have thought they were absolutely insane. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure that if I look 10 years into the future, I would be, you know, I, you know, I know there's all the, the Mayan calendar stuff, and I'm not real big into, into all of that, but time is, we are, we are really on some kind of exponential curve right now. I, the amount of information that's available to us instantly and how quickly things can, can happen and change, um, uh, 
we really are in, in, in extraordinary times, unbelievable times, and, and we, we don't know what's going to happen or how long that's going to go on. Um, you know, so we need to, and gosh, people living in the cities like in Austin, I'm kind of jealous of them. There's, there's permaculture meetings and there's master gardener meetings and there's naturalist meetings and there's wild plant walks and then there's herbalists that are teaching and, you know, there's so many resources available. Uh, tree plantings and things like that. There's so many places you can go and learn. Um, and take advantage of that. You know, use that now while it's available. And yeah, Austin. Austin's going crazy with that stuff. I wish some of those folks would have migrated themselves up here to Dallas, Fort Worth, because we don't have a tenth of what Austin does. And you know, people from outside of Texas would think that Austin, Dallas, probably pretty similar places. But there's a, it's a big state. There's a pretty big difference from one place to the next. But there, I, I, my hope, my hope on all of this is is technology, and not so much the technology to do things, but the technology to link people. It's really hard to convince children today that the little kid in China or Russia or whatever is hates them and is their enemy when they talk to a thousand of them online on Facebook. And I think that like you and I probably would have never met, um, let alone had a business relationship in the pre-internet day, and we have that today, and that that gives me a lot of hope that. Enough of us are awake to grab onto these things because, to me, it is, you know, gardening is a gateway drug. I'm serious about that. It's a if I can if I can turn you on to that, your innate humanity and your your quest for liberty that's naturally in you. As soon as I pull just one inch of light into it, you'll you'll go from there. And what your solution is, or my solution is, or anybody else's could be different. But there's going to be some real commonalities there, and that's a value. Uh, of human life and a value of, of the resources that make it possible. Not a value on monetary terms, but an appreciation, a gratitude. You know, um, maybe a whole other talk we could do sometime is how to build community. Like, I'd love to have you on to do that. I really would, because I know some of the things you've done. I don't know how much you'd want to talk about in particular, but I think you have a really good blueprint that we could get you back on to talk about. Yeah, we we should do that because it, it's amazing. Just I'll give you an example. So you know, I'm growing. I get rabbits and vegetables and a little fruit and and chickens, of course, and turkeys and geese, and and I'm eating you know what I can grow. And and I've kind of got that assortment of things. Now I've got one other neighbor, one other neighbor. So this is just two of us, right? And he has goats, so they have goat milk and goat cheese, and he also raises bees, and he's got honey. And then he, you know, he's also got an assortment of vegetables and chickens, and everybody kind of seems to have their garden and chickens going. But just between the two of us trading, you know, now I have not only, um, you know, rabbit and chicken and eggs and stuff, but I've got goat, I've got goat cheese, I've got goat meat, and I've got honey. I just wow. have one neighbor going back and forth. My standard of living and my, you know, my the range of my palate has magnified tremendously. Just one neighbor. That's kind of into this thing and doing it too, and you know, can you when you get a half a dozen of you that are and and I'm a real big believer of just trying to look like within a mile or two mile radius, you know, something that you could walk or bike easily, getting to know those people that are into the into this and and um, and I've got a whole yes, we we spent a lot of time in this rural community, trying to help the community move along towards sustainability, and there's there's a whole lot you can do, and I'd I'd love to come back and we can do that sometime. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we are kind of getting ready to wrap this up now, but just, yeah, I mean, most people know already because you, you're mentioned on the show once a week at minimum, but people want to get your DVD. Where do they do that? 
Yeah, uh, backyardfoodproduction.com. All the short domain names are gone. <laughs> we also we have a, a free newsletter that I've been cranking out, and uh, it kind of talks about projects that started that in the DVD, and people have questions about, and and you know, kind of how things have progressed, and then just other things that we've been learning. We have a report on there. Of a lot of people have been asking me. Now, how much land am I going to need if I want to be fully self-reliant? You know, could I do that in my backyard, or do I need to buy 50 acres, or, you know, where is the happy medium there? Um, and we, we have other things, um, you know, talking about defense a little bit. You know, do you need a gun to garden? God, I had some amazing experiences with that, and so we wrote up about that. And some of the aspects of health and how unbelievably healthy this lifestyle is and how simple health is. Health is really diet and exercise. I mean, everybody knows this, and, and we, we have some... So we've got a whole list of newsletters that are available, and it's you know there's no 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 cost for it, and uh, we're getting a, a lot of comments of people really enjoying those. So we also Very have cool. a, a resources page on the website with different files uh, you can download, and if I find something interesting, I put it up there. So we're trying to offer more and uh, be more of a resource. You know, well, I'm going to get on you and, and, and try to talk you into setting up a blog on that site and, you know, taking a picture every once in a while and posting it. And I know it's more work, but uh, I, I think that would be really good for y'all, and I think the community would love that as well. Um, but you said something that I found really interesting um, about how much land people need. And right before that, we were talking about your neighbor and how that expanded your quality of life. I think the bigger the community you can be, build, the smaller the piece of land you need for self self reliance is, wouldn't that Absolutely. be the case? That's that's very much the case. Yeah, I still feel very strongly that everybody needs to be growing some food. That's, Agreed. That's such a crucial thing. And uh, you know, it's funny when I speak to groups and and I do you know I do a lot of teaching and 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 speaking around the country and and so many people get so riled up about that. I'm like, you know, this this last century, I guess, where there's been huge populations that haven't had to grow their own food or, or hunt or, or, you know, basically be involved in the production of their own food. That is such an anomalous blip on the history of humanity mm. or any species, you know, that's insane not to think that you shouldn't be involved to some extent with your own basic nurturance. <laughs> and what if we lost, I mean, just not even from a, a, an empowerment standpoint or a spiritual standpoint, from a species standpoint, uh, I know you're also a fan of, like I am, of Jules Derbeis. And his his speech he did at, I think it was UC Berkeley or wherever it was, one of the colleges, he held up a dollar bill. He said that this represented all the plant species that we grew for agriculture uh, 120 years ago. And then he pulls out two pennies and drops them on the table. He said, that's what's left. And and when we think it, when you think about it that way, it almost goes perfectly in line with what the Fed's done to the dollar. It's like we, it's like we're creating, (laughs) seriously, it's like this energetic link between we can devalue people and we can devalue the planet at almost the same descending speed. It's almost spooky how that works out because those numbers are almost the same. And, but we have to take to put it bluntly, we don't have to take this shit. That's been my message from day one. There are, and you're an example of what someone can do and just say, you know what? I'm going John Galt. I'm out. I'm out of the system. And I am now going to control my own destiny. The freedom, the freedom and empowerment aspect is, is incredible. Because how can you really have an impact on the system when you're utterly dependent on it? You know, how can oh, you there's profound words right there. That, that's huge, Marjorie. I mean, that's, yeah, how can, how can you possibly change the system if you are dependent on the system? That's that's like asking a government employee to to, to support cutting government spending. 
it, it, it just doesn't happen because we have the self-interest there. Um, per, you know, we are about where we need to wrap up. I, I want to say something to you personally on behalf of the entire audience. You have done so much to help the people that listen to this show probably be beyond what you know. I, I don't think you know how many people have bought your DVD and watched parts of it and shared it with other people and actually taken and done the things that you teach people to do. And they may not have done them the way you do because they don't have the acreage you do. But they've done what you intended all along. They've adapted it. And so many times a person that does something like, like you know, the work you guys have done, you look at the change the person makes and the actual effect seems to be small. Like they did one or two things and then they're doing all these other things that seem unrelated. But it's that little piece of light that comes in and makes people realize their own power, that makes them then say, well, maybe I'm not going to follow Jack's mold or Marjorie's mold or anybody else's mold, but now that I see my own capabilities, I'm going to follow my own. And so from the whole community, Marjorie, thank you for the work that you've done and you continue to do to help people see that. Wow, thank you so much. That's 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 really beautiful. Yeah, we... It, it, you're right, and it's, we felt there was really wasn't a really good example of a working system with all of its complexities and interconnections, and and that's what we hope to offer. And it's not going to be applicable everywhere. You can't raise rabbits year-round up in Wisconsin. You know, you just aren't going to have the greenery up there. But 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 seeing the the possibility in one place is unbelievably valuable. And I thank you so much. And I I want to say thanks so much to the listeners because really especially when we were just getting started and, and you're helping us out and, and the folks that bought the DVD and thank you, it, it, it's, it's, you know, it's made it possible for us to continue, quite frankly. So. Well, folks, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw out, you know, my big push for Marjorie here at the end of the year. She is a sponsor of the show, has been for a year, but it's December 15th, the day you're hearing this. We're recording a day in advance. You probably can still get it by Christmas. So if you haven't bought this DVD yet, Marjorie's one of the good guys, and she's done a lot for the, the prepper community and the, the self-reliant community as a whole with it. Make, you know... If you, if you can afford it, do it. Get the DVD, and you can give this to anybody. I say this in, in response to Sip Spots, but I, I really mean it. If it comes from the heart, anybody that cares about growing things for themselves and providing for themselves is going to love this DVD. So do take the step and get a copy of it, uh, if for no other reason than to support the work that, that Marjorie does with BackyardFoodProduction.com. Um, I think we're about done. You got anything else you want me to get the floor for, for a final thought? Oh, just... Thank you again so much, and I really sincerely wish everybody the best of luck as we head into these changing times. Thank you. Well, thank you for being with us today, Marjorie. And with that, this has been Jack Spierko, today along with Marjorie Wildcraft, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. There's nothing I can do It's the price we pay I guess we follow all the rules There's a better way to do this Let me show you a better way
Yeah.